There he is. What's up? What's up, my dude? Not much, man. What do you what do, what are you what have you been up to all day? <laughs> you want to say that sentence again? <laughs> hey, what do you what do you what do you what do you? <laughs> uh, not much, man. Um, first of all, let me say to everyone listening, welcome to the U twenty one podcast, where I guess we we technically have described in like written form uh, on our podcast app like what it is that this podcast is about. And we basically talked about how it came to be, but I mean, we don't, we technically don't have like, I guess a main format. We just basically talk about theology and justice and pop culture. Tell me how your freaking day was. Like I asked you a minute ago. Bro, my day was so boring. (laughs) It was just the same old, same old. I, I went to my boring job and did the same boring stuff. However, I do have to tell you this, okay? I was going to text you and tell you this, but I decided to wait for the podcast to do it. I <laughs> so I, I had a dream about you, okay? So here's here's what happened in the dream, <laughs> all right? So NT Wright showed oh, up gosh. to my house oh, in the dream to to uh, to give me like a. It was like. <laughs> So basically he became like, you know, you know, I forgot what it was called, but at Welch we had um, classes where it was like just one-on-one with a teacher. I forgot what those were called, but like, um, it was like, you know what I'm talking about? Like where you would have, it it was like a specific kind of class anyway. So uh, N.T. Wright agreed to do that with me and he came to my house, (laughs) right? So he was at my house. And he was teaching me, and bro, he was, you know, I mean, he's into right. He's so wise. He's speaking or whatever. And somehow, you and a bunch of guys we went to college with were in the other room. And I don't remember who it all was that was on the couch. It was you, and I think I'm, I think it was probably Jake and Tim and guys like that or whatever. And so you have this thing that you do where, like, um, whatever a person is or likes, you'll just repeat it and say, like, Oh, I, you know, like, I'm like, I'm Rishi and I'm a, you know, whatever. So N.T. Wright is in the middle of teaching me this, like, just amazing, you know, truth or whatever. And you say from the other room, oh, I'm N.T. Wright and I'm a preacher. (laughs) And bro, N.T. Wright walks into the room and says, he says to you, your salvation is forfeit. And then... He walks out of my house and then bro, this is what you this is what you did. Okay. You know one of our favorite scenes in Boy Meets World is that scene <laughs> when he rips his shirt. That scene where that dude walks in or whatever and Corey rips his shirt and is like Topanga. And so, bro, you fall down you you had a muscle shirt on. And you fall down on your knees and you rip your shirt and you yelled, NT! <laughs> As he walked out of my door, bro. Oh my gosh. I think I, I almost woke up laughing from the dream. It was one of the, bro, one of the best dreams that I've ever had. Bro, yeah, I'm in like, tears right now, bro. Bro, I'm, in I'm tears. just thinking about it in my head. You're NT! <laughs> Bro, it was oh my god! Oh, it was an incredible bro, dream. So I'm crying right now, bro. That anyway, is, the, I don't think that dream could have gone any better. Yeah, 
<laughs> Seriously, it had all of the, like everything, everything that I would hope if actually N.T. Wright would come to my house. Like that's exactly what I would want for him to. You give want him me, to tell him for I'm him for him to give me all this wisdom and accolades oh. and say, yeah, Richie. Um, you know, you should have a doctorate and then uh, <laughs> look to you and say, you lost your salvation. <laughs> and for you to rip your shirt in shame. Oh, uh, bro, dude, it was so... Like, the first, the fact that you started your dream off saying N.T. Wright, <laughs> I knew, I knew this is going to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard and I'm going to love every single And I know, ever. like, people might, I, like, I'm, I'm not making that up. Like, people might think, oh, it's just, <laughs> like, that's literally how it happened. And... <laughs> Uh, that's how most of my dreams are, dude. They they are like glimpses and pieces of things that have happened in my life, and they like get <laughs> mixed together in these weird ways. So, anyway, dude. Um, so oh, before so before we jump, I got another thing at, in our opening salvo of whatever it is that we're doing right now. Salvo, uh, salvo. Um, Sal- <laughs> so- Can we just talk plain English here? <laughs> Bro, I want people to think I'm smart. Come on. You're like the law of thermodynamics. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. So anyway, dude, I was listening to a uh, podcast earlier today, and they were telling, like, jokes that are, like, bad jokes. Like, I don't mean dirty jokes, but jokes that are, like, you know, not funny, but, like, that make you laugh. Like, um, right. You know, like, it, it's, like, jokes that. Like, anti-jokes. Some, jokes. Yeah, or some of them take forever. So they're just like stupid jokes that you would see like on a, a gum wrapper or like a popsicle stick. Like, um, so, dude, <laughs> bro, I heard this. No, you're, bro, you, you are not. You are probably not going to laugh at this joke, and probably nobody who listens to this is going to laugh at this joke. But I seriously, since I've been heard, since I heard it, I've been walking around laughing all day. Okay, so. <laughs> The, the joke goes, <laughs> bro, I'm not even going to be able to say it. So the joke goes, <laughs> okay, so the joke goes, oh, God. <laughs> okay, here it is. So the joke goes, this grasshopper, <laughs> okay, I got I to gotta get through it. The joke goes, this grasshopper walks into a bar, right? And the the uh, the bartender says to him, "Hey man, we have a drink named after you." And, he, and the grasshopper says, "You have a drink named Steve." <laughs> I'm choking. I know that joke is so stupid, but oh my Bro, gosh. Bro, that dude. was actually funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Bro, don't don't throw up water. on the podcast. <laughs> Bro, what if I just threw up over like, like my whole phone? Oh, uh, dude. I, seriously, Bro. I've just been walking around <laughs> thinking about that joke all day. Uh, I can't stop laughing. Bro. I told it to Jensen as soon as I w- as soon as I got home, and she looked at me like I was the dumbest person. <laughs> She's like, "Why do you think that's bro, funny?" That's no <laughs> bro, um. bro, that's actually <laughs> that's actually funny, bro. Oh, dude. Hold on, bro. Let's take a drink of water. <laughs> yeah, you should. Uh. Did you say you son? No, I said you. 
<laughs> you should. Hey, yeah, you son, you should. You should. Oh god. Oh, speaking of you should, we just wasted eight minutes. So. Oh, bro, if that was the best way we could have started this podcast. <laughs> so we should probably jump into uh, the topic of the week. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Anyway, this week we're going to talk about um, some things that hopefully people like. I mean, obviously. <laughs> Obviously, you and I are super intro. Are you still laughing at the joke? <laughs> I know it's so good, man. It's Bro. so good. <laughs> okay, we probably reminds me of that time me and you and Kevin at Waffle House. Oh yeah, we could not stop laughing. <laughs> you said, <laughs> "Bro, you we said, why the long face?" <laughs> Uh, one of the sometime uh, we'll have to give context to that story because bro, so when we good. bring Kevin on, you have to tell that story. Mm. Yeah, hopefully uh, the, uh. the person that that story is about <clears throat> just never listens to the podcast. They never will. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so uh. bro, we are up over like we are nearing like 150 total listens bro. to our podcast so far, which is yes. really amazing. So like. Thanks to everybody who is listening. I, you know, like I said, I didn't expect anybody to, but I've got nothing but awesome feedback from uh, people, from our friends, from people who've been listening. So we're super pumped about that. And so um, this episode might be a little bit more um, like, as for, it might be a little bit more um, lean towards towards us, like things that we're fans of that maybe <clears throat> maybe our friends aren't as big into as us. But I think... We're gonna tie a tie it like tie a bow on it at the end that kind of brings it <laughs> into uh, like a gospel perspective that I think people will be interested in. So anyway, we're gonna talk about why we love com- <laughs> comics, um, and we're gonna talk a little bit about Black Panther, and then at the end, I just kind of want to talk about why people are drawn to stories. Um, in general, what is it about stories and, and maybe the meta narrative of, you know, s- story and, and that kind of thing and kind of bring it together. And, and so we'll go into that. But I, I want us to start off by just like both of us are huge comic book fans. And I think that's one of the reasons that you and I are best friends is because, you know, we, we can literally ju- we literally could and literally have spent hours and hours and hours just discussing storylines and you know like and and talking about like oh dude you know we would read comics together and that was that was Mm -hmm. seriously some of my favorite times that we had together uh at school and at our apartment was just when like we would sit down and you know chill and read comics together and just talk about them or whatever so so let me ask you what what Mm -hmm. so first of all who is your favorite superhero why Mm -hmm. and then what is it about comics like the um the nature of comics, um, the mm-hmm. art form of comics, like what is it about? So your favorite superhero, why? And what is it about comics that appeals to you that, that you like so much? Yeah. And then, then I'll say mine. So, but I want to hear yeah. what, what you have to Dude, say. Dude, Richie, here's the crazy thing. So like, I actually taught a session like at this forum at my church on why, like on superheroes. Oh, for real? Yeah. And I'll tell you. That's awesome, So I'll basically dude. talk about that a little bit, but, <clears throat> and why superheroes are like, really important for kids and just for people in our culture um whether it's i mean superheroes or harry potter or star wars or any kind of sure yeah, yeah, yeah. and fiction sure but anyway so my favorite hero is superman and a lot of people are like shocked when i say that i know you're not because you've known me for a long time but a lot of people are shocked because they're like well wait a minute isn't 
isn't your favorite superhero like a black person? Yeah. Right, like isn't it Black Panther? And it's like, well, yeah, those are some of my favorites, but my favorite superhero is Superman. And the reason, so it's like there's two reasons. First, like I grew up, so like as a kid, there weren't a lot of black superheroes that were like at the forefront or that were having like a lot of good stories written about them. Yeah. So like Black Panther's been around for a long time, but he has had a lot of amazing stories written about him really until like the last five years, yeah. like five to 10 years maybe. So it was hard to be a fan of his when he wasn't being treated well as a character. Yep, I get that. So grew up with Superman. So the, the, the shows Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, X-Men, all those different animated series that came up from the 90s were obviously super influential on kids that grew up in the 90s. But um, and Justice League came out where, you know, Superman is kind of the leader of the Justice League. And then when I was about like seven or eight, the show Smallville with like Tom Welling. Oh, yeah. And it was like it was like the first live action superhero show that was like legit. Great show. Like, that had yeah. like like that had good effects for the time, had great acting and just had amazing story. And so like that is probably the in my opinion, probably the best on screen portrayal of Superman is Smallville. And I just fell in love with this character because he was kind of like unwaveringly good. Yeah. And he couldn't be corrupted. And it's like the reason I love that is because, you know, and I kind of gave my testimony last week. But like in the kind of the environment I grew up in, there wasn't that. Yeah. Like there wasn't there weren't people in my life that were like <clears throat> unwaveringly good. Like they're going they're going to make the deci- good decisions no matter what. Yeah. And, and you may say that's not realistic. But it's like it's something I think as a kid I needed to hold on to. Um, and so I love that show. He became my favorite superhero because of that. And because I think out of all the superheroes, uh, he more than anything embodies hope. And sufferers need that. Yeah. You know, like they need hope. And he's not the only one who embodies that. But I think he is the one who is the defining like this character is about hope. And um, also like there's a <clears throat> there's a comic with him one of those most famous comics i think i think it's called uh, all-star Superman. oh yeah <clears throat> where story. right where he and it's not and they made a movie about it which is great but there's a scene that's i don't think it's in the movie that's in the comic book that's amazing but like there's this kind of like goth girl she has to be like either middle school or high school she's got dark hair she's white she's like dressed in all goth dark stuff and she's about to jump off of like a building like, mm-hmm. she's about to kill herself mm-hmm <clears throat> and Superman, you know, Superman is like known for like punching stuff, like saving cats from trees and like doing all this other corny stuff. Or he's just like he punches stuff like he's not really like people who haven't read him don't know kind of how deep his character goes. <clears throat> so anyway, this girl's about to jump off a cliff and like what he could have done, not a cliff, I'm sorry, a, a building. What he could have done is he could have just like straight up swooped her up. Yep. Without her consent her consent and just saved her right mm-hmm. but like he puts his hand on her shoulder and he just starts talking to her and <clears throat> that's such an amazing like that's what i love about superman is like superman tries to save his villains um uh, and she's not a villain but like superman is known for like trying to reason with people who are doing really bad things as to where other superheroes might just like punch you first or break all the bones in your body, or do all these different things, and like, that's why I love Superman. It's like Superman tries to reason with his villains. He tries to redeem them. Yeah. Before he defeats them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that it doesn't come to that. 
And so, yeah, so like, yeah, he embodies hope when I kind of grew up and he was kind of the defining superhero, at least in the, that's for me for a kid. And then I, I just, now that his movies lately have not, <laughs> they've not been, they've been pretty, yeah, not the best. Yeah. <clears throat> he's not been treated well as a character, but I mean, you read his comics and uh, they're just, he's a phenomenal character. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason he's the grandfather of all superheroes. Yeah. Um, now, what was the last thing you asked? Uh, uh, what I think comics. Yeah, like just comics in general. What is it? What is it about comics that you know yeah. draws you in? Um, you know, as an art yeah. form or whatever. Um, you know, what is it about that medium that you enjoy right. so much? <clears throat> well, like, so like as a kid, I went, I went, like, I underwent like a lot of trauma, and like a sociologist and different, different like professionals are have been finding a lot of discoveries on the nature of trauma. Uh, probably in the past 10, 15 years, they've, they've known more about it than we've ever known. Yeah. <clears throat> so all I have to say is like, I went through a lot of trauma and like, when you, when you see abuse in your home, when you see racism, when you see all kinds of different acts of violence constantly, like you kind of look for an escape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a kid who undergoes a lot of trauma, it's hard to like sit down with a book and just like, and just read because it's hard for you to concentrate. And like and research actually shows this too, that the more trauma you've been through, the harder it is to actually even be able to just sit down and concentrate. Yeah. So like what comp books do is like, they give you the content of like words and sentences and paragraphs, but they pair it with like this beautiful artwork that as a kid is really good for like stirring your imagination. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what it did for me. It took me out of my environment. Like I saw a lot of domestic violence in my home, a lot of verbal abuse and stuff like that. <clears throat> and it just takes you out. And like, I just gravitated towards that. Yeah. And I gravitated towards like the intricate, like in-depth stories that they tell because comic books, as you know, get such a bad rap because of what they once were, you know, where, you know, superhero might be like, kapow! You know? I, yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah, like, e Kablam! Kablam, Louie! You know? Great Scott! <laughs> You're doing it, Peter! Yeah. <laughs> no, but, um... So, yeah, but but in the 80s, in the late 70s, early 80s, like, comic books got really dark, and their stories got really complex, yeah. and, like, mm-hmm. it was like the golden age of comic books. Ever since then, they've been amazing. Like, since, like since basically the first X-Men movie came out in 1999, I think yep, is when comics really started to kind of have a comeback. Um, and it's because it made your average movie going audience, like interested in these really good stories they were telling. Um, yeah. And I mean, some of the best stories I've ever read are in comic books. And the fact that they can do that in eight issues, which word wise is the equivalent of like one chapter of a book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And to just tell, and, and, and there are some panels in a comic that can tell a story with no words and just like this art where you can see, and this, it's not moving. It's just like, you know, one frame of, of, a, of a piece of art and like to be able to tell a story with emotion like that. Yeah. Um, it's just incredible. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about you? Well, I was going to ask you one more thing before I jump into me. Yeah. Do you remember the first comic that you ever read? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. It came with like a toy that I got as a kid. Yeah. It was, um, I can't remember what the issue, actually, I think it was two different ones. Uh, 
I can't remember which one came first. But anyway, there's a comic I got as a kid where Spider-Man is in New York and he kind of bumps into Doctor Strange. Okay. Um, yeah. And it and just they have this. Con- it's basically just them having a conversation throughout the whole thing. Like there's no fighting or anything like that. And it's just it's just really cool. And by the way, to me, those are what makes comics great. Like not just the fighting, but like most comic books don't even have a lot of fighting in it. Yeah, for sure. Like it's mostly dialogue, storytelling, like like furthering of the plot, and then towards the end you might get towards a fight or somewhere in between. But but yeah, it had a lot of dialogue in it and I was and, and I had known about these characters for a while through like T V and I was like, Oh, that's really cool that like Spider Man and Doctor Strange are like just swinging and flying down you know, Manhattan and having a conversation. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I, I can't remember what issue it was, but it was a Spider-Man comic. Awesome, dude. That's great. I actually, to hear you <clears throat> talk about, I don't think we've ever talked about that aspect of Superman for you. Like the fact that he, you know, always seems to, to make or lean towards good decisions or, or the <clears throat> right decisions when you were surrounded mm-hmm. by people who weren't like, I don't think we've ever, like I've I've never heard you uh, describe it that way before, and so that makes a lot of yeah. a lot of sense to me. And actually, mm-hmm. I've I've come to appreciate Superman over the years. Like for a while, he was one of my least favorite superheroes. Right. You and I have talked about this just because I thought like, oh, he's a goody two shoes, he's too powerful or whatever. But but as I've began to peel back the layers and see like, especially in like All Star Superman, where it really kind of mm-hmm. gets at the character and the heart of yeah. who Superman is. I began to see like, oh, this. Uh, so like, it's they're not. Ju- he's not just a Boy Scout. Like he he has right. he has levels. He has things that he's going through. Like like he's like, I feel all alone because there's nobody in my. Well, school and that's how like I feel. Me. Yeah, for sure. Like, that's why I can relate to him so well. Is because like, he's an alien of a of a from a species that's been completely destroyed. He's the only one left. Yeah. And so he's kind of walking in between these two worlds. And I feel like that, too, because like growing up biracial, it's like I felt alone everywhere I went. You know, it's like there are people who, you know, like black people I knew thought I was too white to be black. White people I knew thought I was too black to be white. Yeah. And so it's like I I could relate to him and his loneliness like all. And I still do. Like, I still struggle with that. And that's one of the biggest things you see in the show Smallville. Yeah. Is he he never feels like he's and you're talking about like. This dude looks like he fits in and could literally rule the world. Yeah. Yeah. All he wants to do is like be somewhat normal. Yeah. And to be that powerful, because like to me, he also, and he's not meant to be this way, but he also reminds me of Jesus because he's the most powerful, one of the most powerful beings in the universe, yet he's the most humble. Like you see yeah. Superman's humility. Like he doesn't, he doesn't even want to kill animals. He, he doesn't want to harm people. And like the fact that like we, like there's a like God exists and like the most the most powerful being in the universe is also the most loving and the most kind. Yeah. And that's what you see in Superman. Like he's actually the best of humanity, even though he's not a human. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, dude, that's really, really good. Um, so for me, first, I'll start uh, like so I've always been interested in superheroes um, and the trajectory of of like my favorites has has gone in kind of like so i actually forgot about this but whenever i was a little kid i was 4 years old and i broke my leg and i was in traction for a while and then during my recovery period like i would have to um 
uh, run around like this. I'd have to go to the hospital and run around on this little track. And uh, my parents have a picture of me with a Superman cape on as I'm running around the track. So there's, oh, yes. so there's always kind of been for me, like um, I've always looked up to, you know, you, as a young boy, you kind of, you know, you think, man, I want to be a hero. You know, I want to, I mm-hmm. want to. And so, um, and then uh, I remember the, the first comic that I ever got my cousin who I, you know, I, I was quite a bit younger than him. And so when you have mm-hmm. an older cousin, you're like, oh, man, I want to be cool. And, and he mm-hmm. he was into comics and he read a bunch and he bought me uh, a Ninja Turtles comic. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So so I, I kind of got into that. And then later on, when I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13, um, I w- we went to Walmart and they just they had like this um, display that had <laughs> um, it had the death of Superman and mm-hmm. it had uh, the death of Robin. Um, mm-hmm. And so I bought the, they were in gra- graphic novels. So it had like, you know, the or trade paperbacks. So it had the whole mm-hmm. collection. So I bought those and that kind of was what got me back into comics when I was like 11, 12, 13, somewhere around there. And then for the longest time, um, Batman was my favorite superhero. I just, I just liked, you know, his storyline. I I liked um, how cool he was, like how he, you know, how everyone was kind of like, um, you know, on edge and how he would sneak out of the shadows and how he was a human, Mm -hmm. how he was a human. But he was able to like, you know, he was so smart that he was able to live in a world of superheroes and be like on the same level, though not yeah, yeah. not uh, not power wise, but like uh, he but, could like, go toe to toe with him. Yeah, he in was different he ways. was considered like him and Superman and Wonder Woman were c- considered like the the main three of the Justice League, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then as as I've gotten older. Um, and Batman has become more, and, and this is probably a mischaracterization or an oversimplification, but he's become more just kind of one note to me to where mm-hmm. like, he's, he's just like angry all the time. And his character right. doesn't, it, I'm not saying that he doesn't have happy moments and that he doesn't evolve from that, but I just like, so basically what happened was I started really dealing with my anxiety, like I talked about mm-hmm. last week. And, um, over the last few years, like I, as I've looked at superheroes, I started to relate more to Spider-Man like, mm-hmm. because, and I didn't want to admit this because, you know, like you, you always want to be, it's, it's in our, uh, you know, part of the fall is that we are prideful people. And so we, right. we want people to think that we're cool that you, but the thing is like, I had friends in school, but I, like, I wasn't the most popular kid. Right. Mm-hmm. And which is the story of Spider-Man, right? Spider-Man is right. this this unpopular kid who is just trying to get through kind of a, a screw up, kind of, you know, a, an introverted kid who's just trying to get by. And that's kind of how I felt like, going through school and, and even right. like into adulthood. It's it's kind of I, I just kind of felt like I'm, you know, I'm I'm. I'm just going from job to job doing, you know, I'm, I'm not doing what fulfills me because I want to get into ministry, but I had this anxiety or whatever. So I just began to, to kind of uh, relate more to the story of Spider-Man. And then of course, you know, right. he, he gets bit and he becomes this, um, you know, he gets powerful, but he kind of, 
He's he's not like I mean I guess the Marvel equivalent of Superman is probably Captain America, but I, I feel like right. Spider Man has a lot of the same qualities in that he yeah, yeah, yeah. he yeah. he's kind of he's an everyman right um, and and the thing right. the thing about him is that like you know Stan Lee always said hey it could be anybody behind the mask right you right. You, you could be behind the mask and so for me. Um, uh, just over the last few years, I've really, his story, uh, my story has related to his story. And so, and, and so I, I just like his personality, like he's who I would like to be, like, he's who I think I would be if I'm who I truly am. Like if I'm, you know, move anxiety out of the way, like who I am around mm-hmm. you. Right. Uh, if mm-hmm. I am who I really am, I feel like my personality is Spider-Man's personality, you know, kind of quirky, you know, always cracking jokes that aren't really that funny, but like, you know, mm-hmm. to, or, or whatever. Um, and so like he um, like there's just something about him specifically that like that he's an every man that he he went through this process of of like feeling awkward and and like just didn't mm-hmm. didn't know how to to deal with life really and then mm-hmm. you know he he has like uh his grandma is like um or no his sorry his aunt is a is a really strong uh mm-hmm. figure in his life and you know i have uh a lot of strong figures in my family who are like an aunt may you know like and mm-hmm. and so like I, I relate to like f- his family members. I see them in my family members, and so and you know just so like um, going on this journey that I've gone through. I just kind of I relate to him a little bit more. And and then like so so one of the things like I was like okay, uh, one of the there are a few things you know that I put on a checklist of working through anxiety, and one of them was to get a Spider Man tattoo. So mm-hmm. now I have on my bicep the Spider Man tattoo, and so it's like. It's just kind of, yeah. yeah, so it's just kind of come full circle, dude. Like his, his, I just resonate with his story and, and that every man, um, you know, that, that he's kind of like anybody, anybody could encompass his story if you just care about people and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. and you put people like he kind of encompasses to me the, the idea of, you know, the, the biblical idea of loving your neighbor more than yourself right putting others needs above your own needs and superman is the same way uh but i I, but i see that in in spider-man's story and so spider-man has and spider-man is one of my favorites too yeah it's um i mean he's like when it comes he's probably my favorite marvel superhero yeah so he's probably like two or three spot for me yeah um but but yeah yeah he's he's an amazing character yeah dude so just over the over the last probably two or three years he's he's become my favorite and i just resonate with him and and so one of the things i love about comics just as as like an art form is that it seems to me comics unlike any other um you know form of um like you know novel or reading or movie or anything like that like all of all of the other forms of media or pop culture have an ending, right? So you mm-hmm. read you read a series of books, it has an ending. You know, you you like you the Lord of the Rings has an ending. The Wheel of Time, right. which is one of my favorite um, fantasy series, it has an ending, right? Your fa- right. you know television shows that you love they have endings, but comics are kind of always happening, right? Like the story, yeah, the story Spider-Man, keeps on going. Yeah, the Spider Man story, Superman story. We're talking, you know, these started in the the 50s and 60s and so there's just kind of this feeling that like it's always there right like 
I, mm-hmm. I can always open and like there's more and there's more and right. there's more. And it, it's kind of this never ending journey where everything else has an ending the right. you know comics don't and so it's kind of like a lived in world where it's like it's it's always there and now mm-hmm. you know with with comicsology and marvel unlimited and dc mm-hmm. uh, universe like the opportunity to like read all of the backlogs of of all of these you know it's just like like literally it's a good thing that those things exist Otherwise, we would be broke because I would spend literally <laughs> oh, hundreds, yeah, if not thousands of dollars. Well, a I remember month me and comics. you in college would buy comics, and we couldn't buy a whole lot because you know we weren't making a lot of money. Yeah, but it's like they're so expensive. I mean, one issue is like four dollars. Mm-hmm. And so, and even if you get it bundled, like you just get like uh, one volume graphic novel, it's like that's like twenty bucks. Like and that's at the cheapest, maybe. And so they're expensive. So like when you have these subscription services, these comic uh, book places, it's just amazing because it's like, oh, I can read. Like I love that's why I love Marvel Unlimited. And I and I, I'm in seasons where I don't read comics as much, so I'll cancel it. And I just started mine back up because I'm just I'm I'm in such a season where like I don't really want to read a book, yeah, as much anymore. I just want to I just and so like, but I'll read a comic book, yeah, um, right now and just marvel at the art and love the story and it's kind of it's just a great uh form of fiction yeah yeah um and bro i don't know if you heard this i I don't know if this is a rumor or not but i saw this picture someone posted online and it was it was called like ninja turtles uh ronin like the last ronin have you heard of that um i i know that they're i'm familiar with something like a ronin story and the Ninja Turtles, but I don't Bro, know like it, specifically what you're talking about. I don't know if it's fan art or what, but it looks amazing because basically the story is um, three of the turtles have been killed. Three of the four. Oh, wow. Yet, but it shows their ghosts a little bit behind the one remaining turtle. Mm-hmm. Yet it doesn't show which color bandanas any of them have. Oh, so okay. you don't know which ones have been killed, and you don't know which one is the one who survived. Wow, that's and interesting, it, I, dude. And it, bro, and it looks, it looks so interesting. I was like, that's kind of brilliant. Yeah, you know, like you yeah. don't know which one's dead, you don't know which one is remaining, and you're, so you're, so like as you're looking at these panels, you're you're just thinking, okay, which turtle is this? Yeah, like so, it, it's sure. cool, but. No, that's awesome, yeah. dude. Yeah, I think, I think, one of the reasons, like as a Christian, looking at it like through the Christian point of view, mm-hmm. like the the hero motif, like at the heart of it, mm-hmm. is caring about people more than you care about yourself, right? Loving right. your neighbor more than you love yourself, and that's very scriptural. And so I think you know that's so. There's something about that, like. I I care enough about somebody to, to put my life on the line for them. That mm-hmm. they, that's that's very you know like I mean that's straight from the, the teachings from the, of Jesus. Yeah, and from the opposite standpoint too is I think the reason that people are attracted to superheroes because in reality we know and desire to be saved, like from something. Yeah, even if we reject God, we're like, man, I need like I need to be saved from myself. Even if we wouldn't put it in those terms, I think because we're made in the image of God and the curse is on our world, there's that void that says you you need something outside of you to save you. And superheroes kind of give us a small glimpse of that. Yeah. 
and and that we're attracted to. And the thing, this is what I kind of taught on my church months ago. But like the reason I th- I think superheroes are so important and that people gravitate towards them is because there is not a superhero ever that has been created that has not been deeply shaped by their own personal suffering. Yeah, I mean, I ever. Yeah. Like that's you so literally, true. I don't, so it, you know, whether it's Wonder Woman, whether it's Peter Parker, Batman, I mean, you know, Spider-Man's uncle Ben dies right in front of him. And that right. Kinda yeah. Propels him to that. Batman sees his parents uh, uh, murdered right in front of him. And so that's why he becomes Batman. So that other kids would never have to go through that. Superman, you know, is, is the lost remnant of a, of a dot of a dead civilization. Yeah. And, and I mean, just every, it's all connected to suffering. And like, that is the common theme of humanity is our sin and our suffering. And, uh, that's the biggest problem we go through is being sinners and being sufferers. And you see that in scripture. I mean, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that every time Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die, he always says, I must suffer. Yeah. Even more times than he says, like, I'm dying for sins. Even yeah. though I think that's just as much of a, sure. of a reason why he dies. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's just something it, like you've never seen a superhero that's just like, yeah, my parents are great. My family is great. I have no problems. Right, yeah. I'm going to go fight crime. Like, you just yeah. don't you don't see that. Right. Like, I, I don't think that's ever been done, at least to my knowledge. Right. And it, it's kind of like, I mean, there's a reflection of a fallen world in right. comics, right? Like that, that, that out of trauma, um, it leads people either to the good or to the evil, just like in, in real life, you know? Right. And it's, it's kind of like the way that C.S. Lewis describes heaven that, you know, a person who is a believer is, is constantly becoming more like it's essentially an angel though that's that's not exactly but they're essentially on a line where they're becoming more like who they really are in christ Mm -hmm. and a person who's not a christian is day by day becoming more like a demon or more like you know who they're not in christ Mm -hmm. so that at the end of a person's life you know like that's why i i think the kindest people in the world are older people who are Christians, right? I mean, they, they will do anything for you. They're the ones who, you know, like on Wednesday night at our church, the majority of people who show up are the, the older people mm-hmm. um, because they've gone through this process of they're becoming more like Christ, you know, in, in the view of, in the vein of which C.S. Lewis describes heaven, which I think is really right. interesting. And in the superhero world, it's like, they're always becoming, you know, more, like caring and more, you know, uh, I'll do whatever it takes to get the job done and to care for this person and, and whatever. And the people who are evil, like, like the Joker, you know, or, mm-hmm. or it's just, what can I do to cause more chaos and more destruction and, mm-hmm. and all of that? So, so anyway, um, that kind of brings us to like, you know, we were talking about the popularity of superheroes. I, I think there's a reason because when you look at when movies come out, right. What are the highest grossing movies, like the number one box office movies when they come out? They are superhero movies, right? Mm-hmm. Marvel movies. The MCU is just like, I mean, the MCU. Like, it's the greatest fr- movie franchise in history. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I, I never thought, like growing up, like I always thought Star Wars was going to be my favorite. Right. And then like Lord of the Rings comes along and I'm like, oh my goodness. And Lord of the Rings is an amazing trilogy. Right. And then it's like, it's like you know, there are all these great things. And then the MCU comes along and I'm like, this is it, dude. Like, this is my 
my generation, like my, uh, I, I just don't think that there's anything that we've ever seen like yeah. in, in, in cinema, like the MCU. Yeah. And, and especially um, because of how it, it so perfectly connects the story of each. Cause it's like, it's literally like a comic book universe. You yeah. Know, all the exactly, characters are yeah. connected. All the stories are connected. Um, and not just that, but they're just making great movies because like for a while before Iron Man, you know, Iron Man is the start of the MCU in 2008. Yep. Before that, they were making great superhero films, but they were making a lot of bad ones. Yes. And, you sure. know, like, the third Spider-Man was awful. Uh, yep. The first Incredible Hulk was not good. Yeah. Um, the Fantastic Four movies were bad. Some of the X-Men movies X-Men were movies, bad. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, when the MCU started, they started off really well. And then they had some, you know... It was hit and miss for the first few years, but after Avengers came out, yeah, in 2012, I think, basically every, almost every Marvel film they had done was great. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's great acting too, because it's like what they do is brilliant. Like you have Kevin Feige, right, who's like the president of Marvel, the Marvel Studios, and what he does is he has this basically this grand map of the story he wants to tell, kind of like the story of Thanos. Like everything's leading up to this. But what he does to the director, he says, make the film you want to make, but hit this one plot point so it's still connected. And yeah, perfect. And so like all these movies are movies that like these these actual directors like it's not them. It's not them going, oh, I got to go with what Kevin Foggy wants us to do. They're not they're not slaves to, um, you know, these executive producers. They're actually which is which is strange because in D.C. that's not the, it's not the case. You have to do what the executive producers want you to do. And that's why a lot of those movies have not been good. But like Kevin Feige is like, I, I have this director, I trust them and I want them to make the movie they want to make. And sometimes if it's not in line with the story they want to tell, they'll be like, okay, we're going to go a different direction. But most of the time what these directors come up with is brilliant. And like, I love the fact that, um, that Kevin Feige goes to this young black director Mm-hmm. Who's only directed like one feature film? Creed. Yeah. Yeah. And says, I want you to make Black Panther. And then this this young black dude, uh well, I think it's Ryan uh Ryan Cooper, I think. Yeah, uh, I think that's Ryan right. Coogler, Ryan Coogler, Ryan Coogler, Ryan Coogler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he kills it as a young yeah. director and makes yeah. one of the greatest superhero films ever, Black Panther, and which is like one of the first times the MC and, and a standalone superhero film reached a billion dollars. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh, dude. Man, dude. Yeah. And, and I think like, and I want to get into that in a second. I think one of the things that makes the MCU so cool is that like, it is in a sense, it's kind it, it kind of takes on the form of comics in cinema in that, like you have, you know, you have some movies like, like Iron Man or like, you know, like, spider-man homecoming or whatever like that that could be like individual issues of comic books but then you have like infinity war and endgame which are like events you know like they have big summer events and comics and kind of bring it all together and so so i like that and of course like i would put you know i'd put the dark knight trilogy up oh yeah the mcu is as like spider-man is my favorite superhero and um but the dark knight might be my favorite superhero movie yeah but, that, those movies that i feel like those were the exceptions with the dc film 
Yes. And absolutely. that was just because it's Christopher Nolan. I mean, he's yeah. he's the Steven Spielberg of, of our generation, yeah, I think. He's probably my favorite director today. He's, he's brilliant. Yeah. And, yeah. of course, he, he, he came pre-DC, EU. Right, and, you know, the like shared universe. It, yeah, when it got all screwed up. So, yeah. anyway, um, so, so you mentioned Black Panther. And I want to k- kind of get into that movie in particular because I think, um, for me – my, I don't know what my favorite MCU movie is. It's, it might be Spider-Man um, Far From Home um, or Civil War is so good. I mean, there's so many to pick from. But I think there's something about Black Panther that speaks to us, especially in our current climate, in a mm-hmm. way that just none of the other movies do. There's something, mm-hmm. there's something about it that... Um, that people kind of rallied around and, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that had the, um, the, the cultural significance that none of the other ones did because it, it was speaking to like, not that the other movies weren't speaking to issues that, you know, real life issues, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're dealing with racism, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I just want to hear you talk a little bit about like what black Panther meant to you yeah. um, as a, as a black person and um you know like um uh, you know killmonger i i think killmonger is the best villain in the mcu Mm -hmm. because a a lot of mcu villains like you kind of they're some of them are bad i mean Mm -hmm. just legit some of them are bad like I can't even remember the Iron Man 2's villain, what, what his name oh, was. Oh, I do. But, uh, I don't remember his dude, name, but I remember how dumb he was. I was like, It was what? so bad, dude. It was so bad. But, like, yeah. Killmonger is almost not even really a villain because mm-hmm. he's fighting back against injustice, you mm-hmm. know, in his life and, you know, to his family. And he's so relatable, you know. And so, yeah. like, um, I just want to hear, like – you know as a black person watching black panther like what did that movie mean to you um what do you what do you think it has to say like overall to us in our you know not just our current climate but historically i mean you know we've we've talked about on the podcast Mm -hmm. um you know the the racist the racism and the the roots that it has in the history of our country but yeah so just just kind of speak to some of that like yeah uh, it's um so you know, I'm I'm expecting this movie to be great just because, like, I'm seeing the trailers. And I know the director. And I know, like, basically 99% of the cast is black. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then when I, I went to go see it, it was amazing, but not for the reasons I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be, like, action-packed, like, Black Panther's just going to be a boss, you know, yeah. like, beating the mess out of dudes, whatever. And he, I mean, there's some of that, but, like, I think out of all the Marvel films, it's truly a cultural film, right? Yeah. Like intentionally cultural. And so like it elevates black people to this place of prominence, like Wakanda, right? And Wakanda yeah. is this place where like these African people, these black people can live in safety. And that it's this place that has not been touched by colonialism mm-hmm. and by uh, imperialism or by racism. It's just, and, it's, and, and the reason I think that speaks of, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's, it's kind of like the, it, it's maybe kind of like, sure? yeah, I was just going to say, it's, it's maybe kind of like the hope that, um, that black people felt whenever they were told that they were free, you know, like this, mm-hmm. like maybe this is what it's going to be like for us. Like well, Wakanda is like the right. picture of what, what it's it, like a utopia. It's like, oh yeah, it's like, this is what black people 
that that realize their oppression. This is kind of like what we want at our core of like we want a place that is free of racism where we are not looked down upon, where we are celebrated, where we are given prominence in certain areas and not always, mm-hmm. you know, the villain or the sidekick or the best friend. You know, who's always relegated to an inferior role um, in these films and these comic books. And so, like, I mean, you just didn't, up until that point, you did not have a black superhero that, that was the main character and that had that kind of prominence. Say, what about Blade? It's like, dude, Blade is rated R. You, little kids can't watch that. Yeah, right. You know, and he's a vampire. And so it's like, and I love the Blade movies, but it's like, that's not the same thing. And they talked about like Hancock. And I'm like, dude, that's the stupidest movie ever. <laughs> Bro, that like, so dumb. It's so dumb, except for when he throws that kid up in the air. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> that kid kept on messing with him, bro. Yeah. That was funny. But, but yes. it's like, that was a parody film. Like, that was an actual superhero film. And so it's like, this is the first mainstream superhero film where young kids can look, lay on black kids and minority kids and be like, yes, this dude looks like me. And he's the one saving the day. He's the one, you know, uh, doing all these amazing things. And the fact that he's a king is incredible. Yeah. Uh, all the, just all the cultural significance is just there. And like Killmonger was such an amazing bad guy because I resonated with Killmonger. Yeah. Because in the movie, Killmonger's, you know, father gets gets taken from him, mm-hmm. you know, by an injustice. And that same thing happened to me. Like my dad, my dad in a lot of ways uh was uh on the receiving end of injustice um in, in our criminal justice system he was taken from me when i was a baby uh unjustly um and so i resonated with killmonger's anger yeah and and killmonger represents a lot of i mean not and he not in his actions but he represents in his emotions a lot of young black people specifically young black men who have had so many different things taken from us because of racist policies um, and politicians and, and the, and, and the environment we had been thrown into um, because of, of our, the way our country operates towards the poor yeah, and, and towards minorities. And um, my favorite scene in the entire movie, and it makes me cry every time I watch it is when he, be, you know, it was when, when Killmonger, um, you know, he defeats T'Challa. He takes up the Black Panther man, so he becomes king, and he, and he kind of goes into that um, sleep with the sand on top of him. And uh, he goes and conk into that dream world to talk to his ancestors. And if you if you notice, it's just brilliant storytelling. But the first time Black Panther does that, he sees all of his ancestors who have been kings before him. These people have not been discriminated against in their own country. They have not been. It's just like it's a completely different experience that happens in this dream world. He, and it's, it looks like the Lion King. Like he goes out to this jungle, talks to his father, sees his ancestors. Uh, Killmonger see, goes into this old apartment and I think it's in Oakland mm-hmm. and yep. California. And he talks to his dad who was unjustly murdered uh, by T'Challa's father. Mm-hmm. And the conversation they had, the reason it made me cry is because those kind of conversations were what it was like when I would have to sit across the table from my dad when I would visit him in prison. Or when I would have to sit on one side of a window mm. 
and pick up a you know pick up a phone and talk to him like that. I felt like that conversation he has with his dad are the exact type of conversations I had with my dad, um, and in the ways in which he was mistreated, and the ways in which that deeply affected me, and that and how angry it made me, how lonely it made me feel, um, and that's why I think you know Killmonger is such a brilliant villain because he is a villain. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But he's the he's the villain who takes his suffering and he uses it the wrong way. Yeah. And that's what makes him a good villain, an interesting character, is that, you know, uh he is what happens when when you have no hope and you're like, Well, my only hope is that I get vengeance on the people who have oppressed my have oppressed my people. Yeah. And and he is the product of growing up in a different environment. That's why when it comes to racism, you know, I hear people all the time say, what about fatherlessness? What about that? It's like, it's like, if you look throughout history, America has locked up most of our black fathers. Yeah. And so it's like, and so then we talk about black on black crime and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, that's going to be the result of relegating us to the poorest neighborhoods during the sixties and the seventies yep. and keeping and, and taking all our fathers away. It's like, yeah, there's going to be a void that's, that's, that is manifesting in aggression. Yeah. It's like, that's why Tatala is the perfect example of, of, of a people uh, of the negative effects of a people who have been disenfranchised. It's like, not always, but this is what, this is what can happen is people end up, can end up like him being so angry and so vengeful because of what has been done to them when they don't have the hope of Jesus. Right. Um, who tells you to turn the other cheek and to love your enemies and, and to not take up those, those things. And so, um, I mean, the movie is just brilliant. Some of the jokes that it makes, I mean, the theme of the movie, in my opinion, is mutual responsibility. I think that is the theme of black. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the fact that, the, and, and wrestling with the nation's past, like T'Challa has to wrestle with the fact that, Wakanda has ignored the needs of its neighbors. Yeah. It has ignored the needs of African-Americans in America who have been brought over uh, to America um, and of its other neighbors in Africa that had been uh, colonized and resources that have been stripped from them. Meanwhile, they're sitting pretty in this dome that can't be penetrated. And uh, they're sitting on all these resources and you know, T'Challa doesn't really think about that until he's confronted with it um, with, like, interacting with his cousin who says, hey, you guys didn't help us when we needed you. And so then he has to go back to his ancestors and literally say, you were wrong. And that is a message America needs to reckon with. We still haven't even reckoned with it yet, is that America needs to be like T'Challa and we need to we need to encounter our founding fathers and all these different figures throughout history and say, you were wrong for what you did to black people. You were wrong for having all these resources and not helping the black community, not helping native Americans, uh, not helping Latinos, not helping the poor. You are wrong for what you've done. And there's a mutual responsibility you owe to your neighbor. Yeah. To help them. If you have the resources, that's why I love what John the Baptist says in Luke chapter three, you know, he's preaching the gospel. He says, repent. And then the people say, well, well, what should we do? He says, if you have two cloaks, give the, give the extra one to someone who doesn't have it. If, if, uh, you know, if you have extra stuff, food, 
resources. Give it to those who don't have any. Yeah. And it's like, that's a command. That's not, hey, this is optional for you to do. Yeah. It's like, and so America has no concept of that because we're hyper-individualistic. Right. And it's all about our own personal freedoms. As where Christianity says, no, I'm not going to use my freedom for myself. I'm going to use the freedoms I've been given for you yeah. and for my neighbor. Yeah. And, and that's what the law of liberty, that's what the true law of Christian liberty is. I'm going to use my freedom to love my neighbor. And, and that's what they begin to do at the very end um, of, of Black Panther. And they do it in Infinity War. They practice, people don't realize this, Yeah, Infinity War, they practice what they, what they were preaching at the very end of the movie of like, we're going to help our neighbors who are suffering. Because it's like Wakanda could have locked itself in that dome. Yeah. But Wakanda says, you know what, we're, gonna, we're going to allow this war to come within our territory. And we're going to help uh, the rest of the world fight this thing. Instead of what they've always done is just been, you know, locked up and sitting pretty. Yeah, dude. And there's a million other things too, but it's just incredible. That's so good, dude. That's so good. Like, it's so cliche, but they really do kind of play out the idea that the answer to hate is not more hate. You know, I mean, that's it's right. really that's really the ide- ideology of Dr. King. You know, I mean, that's that's what right. he what he stood for and what he marched for. And and yeah, dude, I I I think you're right, man. Um, until we really reckon with um, the the reality of our country, like I think one of the the biggest some of the biggest misinformation, and we hear this all the time. I, I, it's just like people say all the time, you know, America was founded as a Christian nation, and and mm-hmm. it's just not true. I mean, if you just right. read the documents, like, yeah, I mean, they <laughs> cared about morality, and they didn't want to. You know, they didn't want to separate church from state like some people say, but that but, you know, not there was a, a mix. Some were Christian, some were deists, some had other beliefs or whatever. But there was a whole lot of difference in what they said out loud and mm-hmm. what they wrote privately. Right. So it was right. it was almost like this idea of um, America at, or, or uh, Christianity as like, um, you know, this this Bible Belt idealism of hey it's like it's just written to the fabric of of who we are but it doesn't Mm -hmm. it's just like it's it's not central to who we are it's just Mm -hmm. a part of it's like oh yeah i I go to work i have time where i relax and then i have time where i go to church right and it's like and Mm -hmm. a lot of them use it as a prop um to like you know to hide behind to say you know yeah like to get people to vote for them um, because right. they, you know, were like, oh yeah, and then of course they know evangelicals are a huge voting right force, and then just yeah. like you, ju- you just cannot skate over the fact that many of the founding fathers owned slaves. You know, I mean, you you, right. you just can't you just can't escape that, and right, and we're racist. Like you know, it's like they yeah, it just kills me, and it's like it's okay. Like we're not. We're not saying throw everything in American history down the drain. Yeah, for sure. Like America has done a lot of good in the world. Yes. But it also has a really dark past that was masqueraded in Christianity so that it could be palatable. We were seeing the same thing today with with politicians is uh, they will masquerade all these policies and all this rhetoric in uh, prayer and language of prayer and and Christianity and the gospel and loving God and being a people of faith so that 
the negative policies they're enacting are more palatable. Yeah. That we, that, that right. could, you know, so it's like the hit, it's just, we have a dark history, man. And to, to romanticize that is just dishonest. Yeah. And people get mad. Cause like the thing is, the thing I love about black Panther is you see, you see T'Challa struggle and almost even deny that that's what their ancestors had been doing yeah, at one point. That's true. He, because his worldview is being cracked. Right. You know, it's breaking. Like the things he thought were true are not true. But, but what he does, what, what all of America should do, is he finally says, wow, this is what happened. Yeah. Let's learn from it so that we don't do it again. Yeah. And it, it's just incredible, man. Yeah, dude. So good. And so um, what I kind of want to do to wrap up is, you know, we've talked about um, stories and the power of stories. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of want to wrap up in talking about, like, why people, like, why humanity are so drawn into stories, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that there are are multiple reasons, right? And so I just want to kind of, so for me, the influence in my life, um, there, there are three big influences in my life that make have made me think about stories in a new light or just like to think mm-hmm. about the implication of stories. And that's C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton and J.R.R. Tolkien. And um, mm-hmm. some of the things, the whitest guys on the planet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Dang it. <laughs> They're grog. We just should in the podcast great. now. <laughs> Dude, I love, I love, all um, three but those. reading the great divorce, <laughs> was Mm c.s lewis wrote you know just like it's just like you know i mean just imagining the you know the the way that he describes the fields and the trees Mm -hmm. and you know picturing in my Mm -hmm. mind like kind of trying to imagine what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like Mm -hmm. and then i've got a couple quotes here that that i I want to read and then um i want to get your thoughts too um Mm -hmm. but so you know one of the things so I think one of the things that's so powerful about stories and, and, and here's the thing that bugs me and is that like, um, as we get older, we lose the ability to imagine, right? We, we lose something in our imagination is lost mm-hmm. as we get older. Um, that, that childlike wonder, right. That, you know, when Jesus talks about having childlike faith or whatever. And in the, um, you know, in orthodoxy, maybe Chesterton's most well-known work, he has this quote, and I just come back to it over and over again, and I think it's super powerful. And so let me just read it. And I know that reading stuff, sometimes people glaze their eyes over, but I hope people will pay attention because this is really good stuff. So this is mm-hmm. this is kind of what um, uh, Chesterton says about childlike faith and, and, you know, imagination and thinking. This This is what he said from orthodoxy he says because children have abounding vitality because they are in spirit fierce and free therefore they want things repeated and unchanged they always Mm -hmm. say do it again and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead for grown-up people Mm. are not strong enough to exult in monotony but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible mm-hmm. that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, mm-hmm. do it again to the moon. 
It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be Mm. that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Mm. And I just think that that's that's so... I remember that quote from college. Yeah, yeah, dude, I just think it's so powerful in the way that, like, you know, that there's something about being a child that we should never lose, right? When it comes right. to imagination and it comes to, you know, like people grow up and they're like, oh, that's kid stuff. But it's that was never meant to be that way, right? We were always right. meant to continue to have that. That's why I think Jesus is serious about it. You have to have faith like a child to inherit mm-hmm. eternal life, you know, to inherit mm-hmm. the kingdom of God. And, and so I really love that quote. But I also like um, there's a really good... Uh, essay that Tolkien wrote called On Fairy Stories. And um, it, I would recommend it, anybody, like I would recommend everyone. Yeah, to, I read yeah, that yeah, on fairy tales. On fairy tales, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, he, so he says, the way that he describes fantasy, um, and, and so he kind of says like, uh, he's almost angry about the way that, that people think about fantasy and like you know stories like he's he's like we relegate these things to children but he's like he's like actually um fantasy is meant for adults and children mm-hmm. latch onto it as they begin to to catch glimpses of you know of what's behind the curtain but they don't in their fullness have what we as adults have the capacity to see right we can see more clearly behind the curtain because we're you know we're further developed than they are they are like taking everything in but we have the ability to process things and so he's like fantasy is for children but really it's for adults and and so he kind of the way that i i just love the way that he talks about fantasy because he's like it's it's almost like like fantasy is part of the primary world but it's just just behind this veil that we can't see through right almost mm-hmm. almost like heaven right it's like mm-hmm. all around us right now there are elves and hobbits and you know it, it, creatures from fairy stories and if we could just mm-hmm. put our hand through the veil we would be able to see and i remember tim keller in one of his sermons he said He's like, one of the things that we love about stories is this, you know, we love stories because we love the idea of eternal everlasting love, right? We love, mm-hmm. we love the idea of, of communicating and talking to creatures that we've never seen before. And he's like, that is the new heavens and the new earth, right? In the new heavens and the new earth, we will have a love that never ends and an eternal right. love that lasts forever. And we will talk to creatures that we've never seen before. Right. We will, we will, you know, be with angels and we will be with, you know, the lion will de- lay down with the lamb and it'll be, you know, the, mm-hmm. so we'll be able to, to talk to creatures that we've only imagined in our imagination, like in fairy stories. Right. And so right. I really like, so he talks about that. He's like, we, you know, and, and he even talks about like one of the reasons that we like to create, right? Like all of us, you know, fulfillment in creating things just as much as we do taking in stories, right? We find fulfillment in creating stories. And he puts that back to the fact that our father is a creator. And so we 
you know, we, as our father is a creator, we have a desire, an innate desire to create because we were made by our father. But also we have a desire for stories because we live in a grand narrative, a meta narrative, of great, right. you know, this banner of redemption, this, this thread of redemption in which a king comes down to a subject's. Instead of mm-hmm. his subjects having to pull themselves up to the king, the king comes down to us and says, I'll become like you, even though there's nothing about you that makes you worthy for me to become like you. I will come down out of love because I love you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there is no other story like that story. And, and I want to read right. I want to read just a little bit from at the end of on fairy stories or on fairy tales from the from his uh from tolkien's essay because i think it's just beautiful okay so this is what he has to say about how fairy stories fit into the and and how our love for stories fits into the meta narrative of the christian story okay this is what he says he says i would venture to say that approaching the christian the christian story from this direction thinking about it like you know in fairy tale um means uh it has long been my feeling uh, a joyous feeling that god redeemed the corrupt making creatures men in a way fitting to this aspect as to others of their strange nature the gospels Mm -hmm. contain a fairy story or a story of a larger kind which embraces all the essence of fairy stories they contain many marvels peculiar uh, uh peculiarly I can't say that word, that word, um, uh, the artistic, the beautiful and the moving mythical in their perfect self-contained significance. And among the marvels is the greatest and most complete conceivable eucatastrophe. But this story has entered history and the and the primary world. The desire and aspiration of sub-creation has been raised to the fulfillment of creation. The birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation. This story begins and ends in joy. It has preeminently mm-hmm. the inner consistency of reality. And then I love this part. He says, there is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true. And none which so many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. For the art of it has the supremely convincing tone of primary art, that is of creation. To reject it leads either to sadness or to wrath. And then there's just a little bit more. He says, it is not difficult to imagine the peculiar excitement and joy that one would feel if any specially beautiful fairy story were found to be primarily true, its narrative to be history, without thereby necessarily losing the mythical or allegorical significance that it had possessed. So, in other words, what, uh, what Tolkien is saying is that we, we all desire story right we all have a desire for Mm -hmm. for a narrative that we fit into an ever of of everlasting love of joy that has a happy ending and and he says you know we, we look for it in all of these ways but there actually is a fairy story that's true that has come in not into the secondary world of sub creation by man, you know, as, as we make things, but to the primary world in real creation in which Christ has come into the world to redeem the world. And so I I love when he says, 
Um, there is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true and none which mm-hmm. so many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits, right? So it's like the great, you know, the story that we most desire to be true actually is true, right? There is a love right. that never ends. There is a grace that we don't deserve, but that if we lean into will wipe away our sin and give us the kind of joy that no other story can give us, right? That all of our own little stories that we're trying to, you know, trying to find fulfillment in, in this thing or that thing, or, you know, sex or drugs or whatever it might be that ultimately our ultimate fulfillment is not found in our own story, but how our own story fits into the grand story and the narrative of Christ, right? The, the right. greatest story ever told and that it's that it's a fairy story that's actually true, right? That it's come into the primary world and that we that the veil has been torn, that Christ tore the veil in the temple. And now we have direct access right now that we don't have to wait for the new heavens and the earth, but actually new creation dawned and the kingdom came when Jesus walked out of the tomb. And now we are partakers mm. in this grand story. And so we are created to desire story because we are created by a God who loves stories because his story is, listen, you don't have to claw your way up to me. I'm coming down to you in a way that no other religion or ideology or system, you know, every other one is like, you've got to, every other God is like, you've got to come to me and you've got to merit my, um, You've got to merit me liking you or me wanting to be part of your life. But in the Christian narrative, our God says, no, you don't have to come to me. I will come to you and give my life for you. And the fact that that story is real is the most beautiful thing in the world. And it's it's available for all of us. And so the story that we're all looking for is found in Christ. So I just kind of I kind of went on forever there. But I don't I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. (laughs) Like 15 minutes later. <laughs> that was basically no, my yeah. sermon for the end of the podcast. But yeah. yeah. That's hilarious. No, that's good stuff, man. I, yeah, I think I think the reason we're created for stories is, you know, stories are just narratives that, um, that reveal things about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's why people I think are attracted to stories is, you know, characters almost, I mean, even the most boring character, has something in common with us because it's being written by a person. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're attracted to those things because we can relate to them. And the best stories are stories that are transcendent, which reveal something about, not just about us, but about God or about uh, something outside of ourselves that we gravitate towards, um, which is a world without suffering. Right. Yeah. You know, yes. Um, or, or a world without sin and selfishness and greed and oppression. And so there are a lot of stories that contain things like these, uh, that, that we just, we want to be a part of those things because we are made in God's image, which means there's something residual in us that God has put about himself that it's almost like we, ha- it's almost like, it's kind of weird. It's almost like we have this muscle memory of what it was like before the fall. Yeah. And, and we want to go back to that. Yeah. I think Lewis calls that um, like echoes of Eden, you know, that there's, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, 
yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's why we gravitate, we gravitate towards those stories and, and because God uses words, yeah, right? Like yeah. it's, he uses words to reveal himself and to reveal the things about our world. And that's how you, that's the only way you can tell a story is, uh, for the most part yeah. is, is through words. Um, so yeah. Yeah, dude, that's so good, man. And, and so, you know, my prayer is for, you know, if, if any friends of ours or any people listen to this and they're like, you know, like that they will find fulfillment in, in that story, because I mean, mm-hmm. there is no story like the story that God has written and is, and mm-hmm. continues to write. Um, and you know, so yeah, bro. So I, I, uh, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. I've, I've wrote, yeah. I, I, I'm so glad that we have decided to do this. I look forward to this every week, man. I really, mm-hmm. I Me really too. enjoy our, our chats and just kind of talking about whatever is on our mind. And, um, and so hopefully people will resonate with this, even though, you know, hopefully people will like listen to it. And at the end be like, Oh man, maybe I should give comics and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that mm-hmm. a chance because like, we're just stories in general, you know, it, maybe it's not comic books, but it's like, like Eugene Peterson, for example, right? And I'll shut up after this because I know we're about to wrap up. But, you know, Eugene Peterson writes the Message Bible, which is a really more of a pastoral commentary on the Bible right. that he, that he kind of made for his church. But one of the things Eugene Peterson says, I love Eugene Peterson. I love reading his stuff, is he rec- like he said if he could have his way with his seminary students – that he would require all of his seminary students to only read fiction for a year before diving into the biblical languages mm. and uh, Old and New Testament courses. And the reason he said that is because, like, in America, we, have no, we, we read the Bible didactically. We read it, like, as if it's the Constitution or as if it's like a, a, a manual for a car. It's like, okay, this goes here, this goes there. But it's like, the Bible is not meant to be read that way. The Bible is not a didactic book. It's symphonic. Right. It's meant to be read symphonically. And that's how narrative works. Narrative has a pace. It's going somewhere. That's the story the Bible is. And so I would encourage anybody to, to just take a season and just read fiction because it will literally help you read the Bible better Yeah. if you struggle with the Bible. Um. Yeah. So yeah, for sure I get that. Also, if you don't read fiction, Tolkien will probably slap you when you get to heaven for uh yeah, for not uh heeding his sage advice and uh <laughs> Yeah, dude, I I mean, I I understand, you know, that there's like some people it's just not their thing. Um mm. and, and I get that, but I I it it kind of breaks my heart, man, because I think we've we've lost like we we were meant for that. We were meant to right. to enjoy that. Like that's we we lose a little bit of what it means to be um, Eden people. You know, new heavens mm-hmm. and new earth people. When we don't partake of good fantasy, good fiction. You know, I think right. I think we lose. And I think they're yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I think we lose a little bit of what makes us what God wants us to be. Um, right, and so. I think too. I think there are other forms of story, too, that people are gravitated towards. It just doesn't look like fiction. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, to me, like, I remember there's this one girl we went to church with at Trinity Church, um, Richie, and we were in Nashville. Mm -hmm. She was, like, doing a thesis at Vanderbilt on, like, um, I can't remember. It was basically, like, why women love sports. 
like the differences between why some women love sports and why some men love it. And they love it for different reasons. But she says overall, both of them usually love it because um, it tells a story, right? Yeah. It, uh, even sports does that. I mean, whether it's the story of Michael Jordan and, and you know, his progression as a player, or the story of Tom Brady, it's just like you, you, part of the watching sports is keeping up with athletes, seeing what they're doing, and just kind of seeing even – their own life unfold as time goes on. So it's like, I, I, w- I think everybody should read fiction, but there are other forms of storytelling that people do gravitate towards. They, they just don't know it. Sure. And, and even with movies and music, music is a form of storytelling. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know? And so uh, I, even if there are those out there who who not big fans of fiction, find out what you're storying already. Yeah. That you are doing it. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I don't want to, you know, belittle or come across as like, um, you know, that like our brand of fiction or, you know, the things that we enjoy have to be the things that people enjoy in order to get that sense of childhood wonder or, you know, right. fantasy. You're right. There are a, a lot of means. And I, I know you weren't doing that. Sure, I wasn't. sure. But I think that, just, that is yeah. a helpful corrective because, yeah, I want to make sure that, that we – you know, hit that in the right way so that, that everyone, you know, finds what it is that makes them feel, you know, like they're pulling the veil back. And there's, there's mm-hmm. a sense in which like, I can, I can, it's like this feeling of like, I can almost see it. Like I can almost see the new heavens and the new earth. I mm-hmm. can almost see, you know, the, you know, eternal sun. I can almost, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, good fiction makes me feel that way. Like I, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm, it's the already mm-hmm. and then the not yet. I feel like I'm almost there. So mm-hmm. anyway, bro, I think that's that's a good way to wrap it up. And so, um, yes, sir, it's been a good one, man. Good to talk to you and good to talk to you, man. All right, bro. Well, we'll hit it up again sometime next week. And so this has right. been uh, episode four of the U21 podcast. And we'll check you later. All right. Love you, bro. See you later. You too, bro. See you.